We've been working through a series about Christmas, as you know, the last three weeks, and we're on week four now, and uh, we're calling it Last Things First, because, you know, Christmas sermons always are about baby Jesus, little baby Jesus, and they're always cute, and there's shepherds involved, and there's stars, and there's, and it's, it's I don't mean to make fun of the story itself, but sometimes how we treat Christmas is just a little bit kiddish, when in fact, uh, it's earth-shaking what God has done. Absolutely earth-shaking. So when you see a sermon that's titled Last Things First, that usually implies that first things come last. So that's today. We're going to talk about the actual birth of Christ. But I've been doing some research and having a lot of fun trying to figure out, Lord, what, what big picture is going on here? What are you actually up to? And so I said, man, if I was in a plane at 40,000 feet looking down on history and mankind, the life of Christ, his death and resurrection, what would I see? What would be different about that? And, and something he pointed out, very fascinating, he says, I tend to repeat myself so that you don't miss it. So I found a couple of, actually three or four different spots where the exact same pattern occurred from the beginning of time all the way until the very day Jesus was born the very day he, at least he was conceived in his mother's womb. So I want to take a look at a couple of those and do a little compare and contrast. But before we do, um, can we just sit back and, and absorb the fact that eternity is real? Eternity is real. It's where angels live. They can cross time barriers, space barriers. They can show up in one instance right here, and then a thousand years earlier they could have shown up right over here. And they know no difference because in eternity, there is no time, there's no space. It's all present. It's all now. And that, my friends, is your home. That, my friends, is your destiny. There will be a day when there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more backaches. There will be no more divorce. There will be nothing. It will be nothing but pure, absolute bliss in the presence of God. That is your destiny. It's coming. It's on its way. In fact, it's probably closer than we think. So I want to take a look from that 40,000-foot view and just ask a few questions. You know, one of the lines in that song, that says, there before the world began. Talking about Jesus. He was in existence with God because he was God. Before the worlds began. And yet now he's about to be born here to a virgin named Mary. And I wanted to find out what are some of those repeatable patterns before I do, though, let me just kind of review our quick. We went through from the end. We talked about the resurrection from the grave and the sighting on the road to Emmaus. Then we went backwards to the crucifixion, the experience Mary had. That's actually part of the Christmas story as well. And last week we talked about his life, his sinless life among us and how one of the primary uh, portrayals of his sinlessness was his love for the vulnerable, for children. And so this morning we're going to talk about back to the very beginning. I shared that with you during the song, and there's the verse we've been using. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Now, this is really critical. We've been using it kind of to give us an excuse for going backwards. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, is not saying the beginning of a matter is bad, because this, the birth of Christ, is the beginning of the matter. And that was extraordinary. It was extravagant. All the writer is saying is that everything that followed that in the life of Christ to his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit just got better and better and better and better and better. But the very beginning, this moment now, 
his birth was a phenomena of history. So I want to take a look at a couple of those compare and contrast moments in time and just see if you can pick up a couple of things that I've seen. The first one was the announcement. Who did God send to announce the Messiah's birth? There was a first announcement, and there was a second one. And the first one might catch you by surprise. I've been doing some research on some of these compare and contrast items throughout history, and I want to thank my friends who helped me do some of the research. You know who you are. I won't name you. But here's one of the things that we, we discovered. In Daniel 9, verse 21, Daniel's speaking, and he says, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh-oh, I gave it away. We're going to stop right there. One of the things I was wondering is, um, how long before the birth of Christ did Daniel live? It's around 500 years. Okay, and here was my compare and contrast. I, I'll just jump right in. Luke, fast forward 500 years. Here we are now. Mary's not yet pregnant, but she is about to be. The second announcement, or the Annunciation, as King James called it. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Simple, straightforward question. What was the angel's name that spoke to Daniel? Gabriel. What was the angel's name that spoke to Mary? Gabriel, same angel. See, he's existing in eternity at the beck and call of Almighty God, taking on the assignments God himself gives him, and he's existing in eternity, and he can, at the same moment, see Mary and see Daniel. And in our limited space and time, we think there's a long space in between, but we have no idea. Eternity makes everything look like it's in the now. That's a reality for us. So God was very consistent. He repeats himself over and over. He even sends the same angel just in case we miss it. Okay, we'll go on to the second one. Yeah, the first and second announcement. There are three things that happened between Gabriel and these folks. And the, uh, the way he greeted Daniel, he said, He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Fast forward 500 years. And coming in, this is Gabriel still speaking, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Is that awesome or what? When, when God sends someone, an angel or even a human, it's almost always begun by you're highly esteemed. You are favored. You are loved. I have chosen you. You are in my good graces. Now the question is often asked, does that mean Mary was like super duper holy? Daniel was like an amazing, you know, sinless man? Nah, it's not possible because everybody's broken and sins. But no matter what, God almost always comes to you and I and says, the fact that I'm speaking to you and you're hearing my voice says loud and clear, I love you, man. I, I esteem you. You are favored in my sight. In fact, you're one of my favorites, one of 10 trillion favorites. But you're one of them. The fact that we hear his voice at any point in time, we should be hearing the words, I love you. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. So 500 years before the birth of Christ, God is already using the same angel, saying the same kinds of things when he's about to do something significant. Let's look at another pair. The first and second announcement, what did God call 
this coming Savior before and after. Let's take a look in Daniel. Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It's a little mysterious about what that is, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and there's you know, a timetable about when certain historical things will happen. It's a whole other study. What I want to note is simply that Gabriel calls this king who's coming the anointed one. The other word for anointed one is Christ or Messiah. Yeah. Fast forward 500 years. When she said, how's this going to happen? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called Son of God. Is it the exact same word as Messiah? No, but we know exactly who they're talking about. Gabriel's talking about the same individual. So God is consistently preparing, planning, and repeating himself so that humanity doesn't miss it. Then the question comes up, so how did Israel miss it? How did the Israelites, lots of them, just right over their heads, how did they miss it? Probably the same reason I missed it for many, many years of my life. I can't tell you why, but until the revelation from God came, my eyes were blinded. The encouraging word right now is that if God is about to do something new, Noel, in our life, he's about to give, something, give birth to something brand new, you can count on he's been declaring it and repeating himself over and over and over again in your life through circumstances, through conversations, through ideas you've had, things you've read, moments you've experienced, because God is, a, is an incredibly good communicator. That's why Jesus is called the Word of God, because that's what God does. He talks, he communicates, he shares, and then he shares again, and then he shares again and repeats himself. The thing that I was imagining is I'm looking at Gabriel 500 years apart in these two moments is, is his little time travel deal, like what that looks like in eternity. You know, remember Superman with the cape? How did they do that anyway? And that was like a 1960s TV program, and they actually made him look like he was flying. At any rate, I imagine Gabriel just kind of, here I am, and having a conversation. It's amazing to me. It just makes eternity so much more real. Christians, we should be comforted that it's coming. It's not a joke. It's reality. The coming of a Savior on Christmas morning um, was the actual moment when God cracked the barrier between eternity and time and space. He, literally, there, there had to be some kind of fracture in the universe where, where God just broke through and became the father of Mary's child. That's just a phenomenal reality. We have to say, I'm so glad he's coming. I don't care if there's a government shutdown. Jesus is coming. I don't care if we stay in Syria for 100 years or never go back again. Jesus is coming. I don't care what the economy does or if I've got a 201K now instead of a 401K. Jesus is coming. Right? We have to remember this is reality, folks, and this is what Christmas is really about. Not only God with us, like Kevin shared, and always with us and never leaving us or forsaking us, but us being with him forever as well, in his world, in his world. Praise God, he's in our world. But I'm thankful that's not all there is to it. We're going to be in his world. I can't imagine, because the Bible doesn't talk much about what heaven's going to be like, except there'll be multitudes worshiping around the throne and 
There'll be angels swirling and wheels, <coughs> wheels within wheels and all kinds of stuff, but there's not a whole lot of detail up there. All we know is that it's coming. It's a fact. And for some reason, God spends most of the time in the Word telling us how to behave and live and think and believe right now. So I guess that should be our assignment right now, but never letting go, forgetting the fact, I've got another life coming. There's another set of circumstances that, that I find very fascinating, and I have to be honest, it's, I'm having a hard time getting my brain around this. It's kind of new thinking for me, but um, I love exploring, I love research, and um, I don't have it captured fully yet, so let me, let me figure out where I left off and where I need to go. I know what it was. There, there's a name that um, Jesus was given by the Apostle Paul. It's called the second Adam. Remember that? Have you heard that before? So there was the first Adam, which was Adam of Adam and Eve. And then Jesus is called the second Adam. And I, I said to myself, where, where did he get that? And, and I realized as he's writing his letter to the, to the Corinthians, he is, he's developing this thought pattern from thin air. No one, nowhere in the word has ever called Jesus a second Adam. He's just kind of putting two and two together. So he himself is doing this compare and contrast um, activity to figure out how does this all fit together. And so I want to go back to the very beginning and ask the question. I think it's up here. And the question is, where did the first Adam come from? Familiar story. You could probably tell me by heart, but we'll read it in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Adam and Eve were the only other, in the history of the world, the only other two sinless people ever, besides Jesus. They didn't stay that way very long. But what we know is they had not yet rebelled against God, so they were, they were sinless. They were pure. They were perfect in God's sight. And so I'm thinking, okay, if, um, if God is fashioning Adam out of the dirt and then breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. He becomes a living being. He's sinless and pure. What I, I know for a fact, I don't think dirt has any moral characteristics. It's not good or bad. It's not evil. You can't, you can't get a rock to sin. You can't get a tree to confess. There's just no moral equivalency whatsoever. So we know that that, that sinlessness didn't come from um, well, it just hadn't happened yet. It's different than the way Jesus' life began. By the way, did Adam and Eve have navels? <laughs> How many vote yes? Because, you know, because in his image, had to, you know, the prototype has to be like everybody else. So there's a reason to go, yeah, maybe. I, I, I vote no. Um, because listen to this. This is, this is really critical. None of the children in history who were ever born were born sinless. Adam and Eve didn't have kids until after they sinned. So from then on, everyone had sin kind of crawling through our DNA. So Adam and Eve actually weren't born. They were created. They were fashioned by the hands of God. So they weren't born like their children were being born, so, but it was with the beginning of Adam and Eve, now the sin nature is being passed down through the birth canal, generally of the father. So now everybody in history has got this tainting 
Whether you're an awesome person, beautiful and wonderful and generous, or you're rotten, it doesn't matter. You only need this much sin to be called a sinner. Okay, so don't take it personal. I'm sure most of you are pretty wonderful people. And so with that in mind, I'm thinking, all right, God's got to do something about this, this sin problem inside the children. And um, he's got to figure out a way that doesn't perpetrate, perpetuate rather, perpetuate this, this problem in the DNA. And so when he came along, actually, I'm going to go forward and just let the word speak for itself. Where did the second Adam come from? I'm going to rewind a little bit. This is Paul's argument right here when he kind of invents the idea, the concept of the second Adam. He says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. And I apologize, I don't remember how far I went. That's as far as I went. So he's trying to put a kind of a, a timeline on it. The first Adam was born of the earth, of the dirt. He's natural. And the second Adam, Jesus, was born from heaven, the Spirit of God, impregnating Mary. And so now he's the spiritual man. And what Paul's trying to say is the body that was given to you and I is perfectly suited for habitation on a planet called earth. Everything about our abilities to breathe, to eat, to work, to play, to love... And all the things we do, perfectly suited. And eventually, he's going to get to the point where those natural bodies cannot survive in eternity. So, God had to give birth to a brand new kind of human, a spiritual human. That would begin with Jesus. Because he, once his body is glorified, he leaves the natural body behind. He has a new glorified body. He is now suited to live in eternity. Can I just say, that's good news for me, too. Because he said he was the firstborn of many brethren. Every single one of us are going to shed this natural body that would absolutely disintegrate in the presence of God. We don't want to give it a shot. I don't care how much you work out or how much health food you eat or how many vitamins you take. You're not going to make it. So we have to have brand new bodies, a spiritual body like Christ, that's suitable for eternity. I have so little information about what that's going to be like. But we do know this, Jesus appeared on earth physically to the disciples before he went to heaven forever. So I think that body can live in both environments. They can go back and forth. In fact, angels have been doing it for hundreds of years. Interesting. Because often angels are called men. The man came to me and spoke. Abraham saw three men and later on named them sons of God as if they were angels. So I'm thinking eternity is so real, and, and angels can pass back and forth between the here and now and there. And I think the bodies that we get, the lives that we have coming for us, are going to be absolutely gloriously beyond all we can ask or think. I want you to hang on to that, because that's sometimes going to be the only thing that gets you through. I don't need to take my life. I don't need to be that depressed. I don't need to give up hope. I don't need to do something really stupid and life-ending because I've got a hope and a future, and it's fixed. And God has repeated himself over and over and over again, both through the actions of his angels as well as through the promises in his word. So I want to know, are you confident that you're heading to heaven as well? Are you certain? Sorry. 
Because um, Jesus' presence in that stable, in that manger, on the day he was born, um, was the beginning of the opening of the heavens for you and I. And um, if you haven't made that decision, you've got to do it, my friend. You have to do it. You have to give your heart to him. You have to say, I'm staking everything I am and everything I hope to be on Jesus. And I'm not looking to my qualifications, my education, my abilities, my friends, my parents, anything. I'm depending on Jesus. And the Bible says that once we do that, we become sons and daughters of the living God. There's no delay. There's no like, oh, wait a minute, things booting up. Hold on, hold on, wait, wait. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> It's instant. We become children of God. And I, I want Christmas to be uh, more than just, a, it, it is a sweet time, especially if you have children. I love, I got three granddaughters and three real daughters. I guess they're all real. Um, <laughs> and I love the stories, and I love sitting them on my lap and reading the little kid angel story and the little, you know, all of the other reindeer. Have you heard that one? It's a great one. I love that. I'm not going to be done with that. But for me as an adult, and for you as adults, I want us to go, this is cosmic, man. This is unbelievable. And this is real. And, and when I see my friends who don't know Jesus, I need to have a passion for them to enter this kingdom as well. I need to have a passion for them. I need to cry and weep over them. I need to pray for them. And I need to not be afraid about what they may think of me. I need to just tell them, Jesus, man, Christmas is so much more than that little baby. Guess what? He's not baby Jesus anymore. He's big Jesus. Amen. He's God. So I want to just close our Christmas season this, this year by uh, challenging you again, number one, to believe with all your heart. If you know him, you're going to see him face to face, and you're going to be a brand new creature, like a really brand new creature, not just that by faith brand new creature that we are right now, but in reality. And secondly... You will be able to live in this realm known as heaven, this realm known as eternity, where there's no space, no time. There are no tears. There's no brokenness. There's no hate. There's no war. Nothing but absolute peace and absolute joy. I really believe that joy part's going to be a big part. I, I don't want to be too peaceful. I get bored. I need some action, man. I want to do something that matters. And I'm thinking if, if this life is treated so importantly by God, how much more will he treat our lives once we're there? We have no idea, but it's going to be way better than we think. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us not only warnings, but reminders. You've repeated yourself over and over again that our hope and our future is fixed in you and in your promises. And we thank you, Lord God, that Jesus, the birth of your Son, Lord, is the physical, historical, factual moment that you proved that earthlings can break into the realm of your kingdom called heaven. But Father, we need to believe in him. We need to follow him today and tomorrow and until he returns or until he calls us home. Would you give us faith, Lord God, increase our faith to believe you, to see things from your perspective, to not give up, to not allow depression to take over, to not be afraid, but to stand our ground, to declare you with boldness and the gospel of your son. Lord, give us the strength to not just endure till the end, but to overcome till the end. And, and I don't want to ever end 
a prayer like this without giving you an opportunity to receive Christ if you never have. If you've never said to him, I'm yours, and I give you the right to rule my life. I receive forgiveness. I receive salvation. I receive eternal life. It's a trade. You give him your life, he gives you everything he promised. If you'd like to do that this morning, if you've never done it before, I'd like to see you raise your hand because I want to agree with you. If that's where you're at, this would be an awesome time to have some new birth occur in you. Okay. One last prayer, and that would be for those of you who feel like you just need to recommit. You've been drifting and treating this world way too importantly, and the kingdom of God is way too small in your daily routines, and you need to just come back to him and just get serious again. And you want to recommit your life to Christ. He will forgive you instantly. You'll be restored to him instantly, and you can begin again. Raise your hand if that's you. Good. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Good. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. You're the one that speaks to us. You're the one that helps us hear your voice. And you're the one who helps us make right decisions, convincing us, convicting us to make right decisions. So I pray for each of my brothers and sisters just now, Lord, who raised their hand. Lord, that your forgiveness would flow. And as I pray that, and as they say, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you. I've been too far. I've been far away. I'm coming back today, Lord. As they're praying those prayers, I pray that they would hear your voice saying, welcome home, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. Forgiven you are. Clean you are. Pure, perfect in my sight. Welcome home. Let's begin again. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, may God bless you this Christmas. Do come back. I, I, I want to just tell you one little detail you don't know. Um, we have you know, great worship and stuff, and uh, it's only going to be about an hour long total. But the second half is we have a, um, well, I'll call it a story with some powerful slides and powerful, powerful images, both verbally and visually, that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, this is Dana's work. He and uh, Brandon sought the help of 18 people in this body to put the whole thing together. You hear the voices of 18 of you, and uh, it is absolutely wonderful. So I hope you can make it tomorrow at 6. Bye-bye.